Hi, welcome to the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Westwood, the Codependency Coach. Each week, I answer your questions on codependency, people-pleasing, and all things relationship-related, submitted to me via Instagram. Follow me on the gram at Joe Westwood to submit your questions in my stories every Monday. You can also hit the link in the show notes to take you straight there. So my loves, next week's episode is the final in the first season of the Anti-People Pleasing podcast. So it's your last chance this year to get your questions to me. And if you have a podcast success story that you'd like to share with me, I'd love to hear that too. Let me know if answering one of your questions or even just sharing the answer to someone else's question has helped you in some way. And I just want to draw your attention to the fact that this week's episode mentions lots of great people and the resources that they've created. So as always, they're listed in the show notes with links. So make sure to check them out and perhaps even get yourself a little last minute festive treat. First up today, we have this from Olivia who said, my ex and I were together for three years. I ended it as it was toxic and narcissistic. He literally jumped into a new relationship within two months. I was so angry. He's done no reflection or clearly does not care. Why do narcissists jump so fast between people? Hey, Olivia, thanks for your question. And I'm so sorry you're experiencing this. It's a horrible feeling. In fact, it never feels good when we find out that an ex has moved on, even if we know they weren't right for us. There's always a bit of an emotional struggle that comes up a feeling of being replaced that hits right at the heart of the human ego. It will always be even more intense if you're codependent and you've been in a relationship with someone narcissistic. On your end, because your codependency has your self-worth on the floor, never feeling good enough for anyone, likely anxious, attached to your partner or ex, and feeling rejection so very deeply, it's almost a fundamental part of who you are. And on their end, the narcissistic person has gone into discard mode. It's like you never existed as far as they're concerned. They needed a new source and so they've moved on. Now, the way you phrase this question makes me wonder how much you understand about narcissistic people and my apologies if I'm teaching you to suck eggs here, whatever that weird old phrase even means. It may be that you intellectually know the patterns of narcissistic people, but the shock of the breakup and your ex moving on so quickly is clouding your ability to process it. So I'm going to give you a quick narcissist 101 here to help you understand why they operate the way they do. Tune into episode 15 to hear me read a Medium article that I wrote that goes into more detail on narcissistic people. Their dysfunction comes from a fundamental lack of self-worth. Something happens that makes them cut off their emotional body and push down all their trauma and shame and lock it off. And because they've locked off their ability to feel and process that emotional pain, It means they can't also fully access joy, love or empathy. They can only leech this from other people. Those people are called narcissistic sources, as in S-O-U-R-C-E-S, like power sources, not like condiments. And there's a cycle that a narcissist takes their source or victim through. The first stage, over-evaluation, commonly known as love bombing. The second stage, devaluation, this is how you will live most of your days with a narcissist, being lied to, gaslit, belittled, having your sense of self-worth chipped away at. This stage will also include triangulation, recruiting flying monkeys, intermittent rewards. And the final stage, discardment. This is the stage you're in, when either you're tired of the abuse and end the relationship, 
or they've worn you out as a source, you will be discarded. This is why and how your ex has been able to move on so quickly, because you saw through them and therefore you were no longer useful to them. And now they need a new source. They can't go for long without one. That's why they often have people on the back burner or exes hanging around or people they're flirting with or cheating on you with, lining them up for when they need someone new to use up. And what you experienced with this person, though it may have felt intense and it may have included commitment, it wasn't love. It was addiction and dysfunction and enmeshment. So that's also why it's easy for them to move on because they're not healing from a heartbreak. They're just looking for a new source. The existence of the narcissistic personality is based on not looking at what they might have done wrong, not taking responsibility for their actions or how they might have hurt someone, not doing any inner reflection or repair work. It would fundamentally break down their whole way of operating, their whole identity and sense of self. So no, your ex is not going to do any of that. He's just going to keep repeating this cycle in every relationship ad infinitum. Some of those relationships might seem more successful than others, but that's only because in our patriarchal, faux, Christian morality, heteronormative society, we equate length of relationship rather than quality with success. We care more about if people stay married for decades than the happiness the relationship brings to both people and what each one was able to gain and learn from and how gently and kindly they were able to let each other go if and when the time was right. I think we've all met people who've been in relationships for 10 years or more who are completely browbeaten and worn down by their dysfunctional dynamics. And just for those of you smug marrieds out there who've been in joyful union with your significant other for years and are still blissfully happy, that's amazing. Good for you. We love that for you. Of course, I'm not saying you can't be happy in a long-term relationship. I'm just saying to our dear listener, don't be fooled by whatever it looks like is happening in your ex's new relationships. I promise you, he will treat his new partner exactly the same as you. The only difference is how long it will take her to figure it out and what decisions she makes with that information. For some people, that's never, and for some people, they realise it and choose to stay anyway, giving the illusion that the relationship is much more successful than it actually is. But most importantly, you didn't choose to stay. You got out. Good for you. And as I mentioned, not everyone does. And now it's time to turn your focus back to you because knock's gonna knock, baby. You need to work on whatever it is within you, could it be codependency, just saying, that made you able to allow and accept your ex into your life. When you build your own level of self-worth and get better at spotting red flags and holding boundaries, you'll find yourself worrying less about what your ex is up to, how quickly he's moved on and how happy he might be portraying his relationship to be. On that note, I'm interested to know how you know your ex has moved on. Have you blocked and deleted him from your socials? Have you stepped back from mutual friendships or asked them not to speak about him and his new partner? I get that if you live in a small place, you might bump into him, but I'd also put some protective measures around that kind of thing too. Narcissists are at once wily and shrewd and also quite unsophisticated. If there were bars, pubs, restaurants or gig venues you enjoyed going to together, Likelihood is he'll be taking his new partner to those exact same places. So for now, for your sense of self-preservation, I'd avoid those for a while. At least until you feel strong enough that if you saw him and whoever together, it wouldn't churn you up and ruin your night and your mate's night. 
as you rev up the old, oh my God, can you believe him? The audacity, what the fuck machine. The best thing you can do after leaving a narcissistic, abusive or manipulative person is move on yourself. And if you feel like you need them to help you through this initial stage and to understand how narcissistic people work, here are a couple of recommendations. The book Sweet Relief from the Everyday Narcissist by Melissa Schenker and Tina Moody and the work of Dr. Romani Devosela. Both are linked in the show notes. As you may be aware, there's loads of information out there on narcissists, but personally, I really rate these two bodies of work as being realistic and truly helpful with how to move forward when you've realized that you've been in a relationship with a narcissist. Fair warning though, labels are helpful until they're not. Sometimes after a few months, clients can find themselves down a rabbit hole of research about narcissists, trying to diagnose everyone around them, feeling paranoid, and also questioning their judgment of the relationship, because this partner or ex doesn't match with every single criteria on a given list about narcissistic people, which will seldom be the case, by the way. Just like codependent babes, they come in different flavors and intensities. So learn what you need to, to be informed, and then leave it be. Don't allow yourself to spiral, and don't dedicate more time than necessary learning about this person they've already have plenty of effort from you. And all it really boils down to, all you really need to know is they weren't good for you and you weren't a match and you managed to get out. And of course, I'd recommend getting to work on yourself right away too, whether it's with a therapist or perhaps your friendly neighborhood codependency coach. Next up, we have this from Jillian. He said he'd be my boyfriend, so we had unprotected sex, but he took it back the next day. Isn't that sick? Hey love, I'm really sorry this happened to you. Yes, it is sick and very shitty. I'm sure you've been left reeling by the actions of this person and I hope that you've taken the advice of the very brilliant la 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 let me explain and blocked and deleted him. Please, whatever you do, do not hang around trying to make him feel guilt or remorse or get an apology or make him feel bad for what he did He knew exactly what he was doing, he knew exactly how gross and manipulative it was, and he still did it. You won't get closure or genuine contrition from this person, not without them doing some serious work on themselves first, and I'm telling you, it's not worth your precious time and energy to wait for that, or to try to extract it from them. If you did get an apology, my concern is that it would just be another manipulation technique. He got what he wanted by telling you what you wanted to hear the first time, why not give it another go? And I'm so sorry to be your podcast mom here, but it has to be said, mainly because this person's disrespectful actions give me major cause for concern. But please make sure that you take care of your sexual health and get screened. As we've clarified that there is really nothing more you ever need from this man, as long as your sexual health screening comes back negative, I'd like to spend a moment thinking about what you can do to protect yourself from this type of situation again. And I know. It should not be your responsibility to try to preempt the bullshit behavior of other people. I'm not in any way blaming you for this happening. And sometimes, particularly if we identify as codependent and we have our own flavor of dysfunction going on, we allow ourselves to connect with people and accept behavior from them that feels off or uncomfortable, or we compromise on our own boundaries in the hope that it will make them like us more. Both things can be true. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of this situation, but I'm going to guess that it's someone you'd been dating, seeing, and or sleeping with for a little while, and he used the promise of a relationship to coerce you into unprotected sex. So 
So because this person has proven themselves unreliable, it does mean that the only thing we really have left here is your assessment of the situation and what you might want to change about the way you interact with potential partners going forward. These are genuine questions I have, not loaded ones that I'm asking because I don't want you to have to experience something like this again. And I think they might help you gain some clarity around what happened with this particular person. Were there red flags with them before this situation that you perhaps ignored or minimized? Did you know what you wanted from this situation? Did you really want a relationship with them? Was there any discussion of a relationship before the idea of unprotected sex was floated? Is being in a relationship with someone your boundary for having unprotected sex with them? Again, no blame or shame here. I have no judgment about casual sex or sex outside of relationships or unprotected sex. But if this is the case, and again, sorry to be your podcast mom, but I would suggest that perhaps boundaries that will protect you better when it comes to choosing whether to have unprotected sex than insisting that you need to be in a relationship with someone are knowing your partner's recent sexual history, whether they've been screened recently, like in the last three months, not the last three years, if they're sleeping with anyone else, and if so, do they know those people's sexual health statuses, and are they willing to get screened again before you have unprotected sex? And all of that would also mean having a level of communication and trust with a person that would allow you to have those conversations and feel like you could believe their answers. I'm going to assume by this dude's maturity and sensitivity level demonstrated by his behavior that he wasn't having these discussions with you or offering up any of this kind of info. And all that might feel like a pretty high bar if you've been used to having partners that made you feel like you had to be cool about having unprotected sex or that it wasn't really a big deal or like this person have coerced you into having unprotected sex before you were ready or on false pretenses. But I'm here to tell you that honestly, these kinds of conversations should be the bare minimum when it comes to protecting our sexual and emotional health. We have to normalize seeing it as a red flag. If someone isn't willing to offer up this information or meet your expectations before potentially putting both of you at risk. Also, what's your sexual health status? When's the last time you got tested? Are you sleeping with other people? And you need to book in for a sexual health screening before we have unprotected sex? Are much harder questions and boundaries to blag than you need to be my boyfriend first? Because the answer to that could be as simple as, yeah, okay then, especially if they're just saying it to get something they want. So my love. I'd like to invite you to consider the questions I've asked and perhaps reassess what your boundaries look like around sex and intimacy going forward so you can better defend yourself against emotionally immature, inconsiderate and manipulative little pricks like this one and still feel free to enjoy your body and your partners in ways that feel good to you. I'd also like to recommend some people you can follow and tune into for more support around consent, boundaries and healthy relationships, especially as they relate to your sex life. On Instagram, follow safe slot at safe.slot and Dr. Ina Park at Ina Park MD. And tune into Dan Savage's podcast, The Savage Love Cast. All the links are in the show notes. And now this from Charlotte, who asked, Is it okay to feel sad about not being in a relationship or is that unhealthy? Hey love, thanks for your question. Okay, short answer. Yes, of course it's okay. It's fine and normal and very common to want to be in a relationship. That is what most of us as humans desire. And of course, you're entitled to your feelings. Now, time for some nuance. It depends just how sad you are. 
if it's something that's overtaking your life and encroaching on your ability to enjoy what you do have and make the most of other areas of your life, like your career, your friendships, your hobbies, then that feels to me like it's veering more into codependency or insecure attachment issues. If it's more of a kind of low-level hum or a fleeting moment of feeling like, wow, I'd really love to be doing this with a special someone, or just a genuine feeling of being very ready for a relationship, then I'd say that's an authentic desire and that's beautiful. Here's the rob. If you allow your desire to be in a relationship to hold you back from making the rest of your life as awesome as possible in the meantime, you're less likely to find that partnership. Being out in the world, doing your thing, not only exposes you to more people, but it also makes you magnetic. Despite what the filters and edited videos of Instagram would have us believe, truly one of the most attractive qualities in a person is them having an exciting and fulfilled life before we get to them. Someone who has stories to tell and things to do and people to see on our days apart. Someone who wants us but doesn't need us. So, my lovely, to reiterate, There is nothing wrong with wanting a relationship, but I wonder if you can take that sadness and instead channel it into desire and not in some toxic positivity, paste a smile over it way. If you want and need to be sad sometimes, let that flow. And when you've given that sadness the airtime it needs, transform it into a desire that helps fuel your motivation to live your best life, knowing that there are several people out there also hoping to meet a person just like you someday. Sending you loads of love and absolute faith that you'll meet a fucking fantastic person. Our next question today comes from someone whose name I don't have. I just have their Instagram moniker and it's kind of distinctive. So I'm not going to share it just in case they wanted to stay anonymous. I'm so sorry. I think I've lost your original message. Anyway, hopefully you're listening and you'll know if it's yours. You said, as an adult, I often feel like I want someone to take over taking care of me, like I'm sick of taking care of myself, like I want to be a child again. I feel like this is sort of connected to codependency. It is for sure connected to anxious attachment. Any tips on dealing with this feeling of wanting to be taken care of and how to go about it? Hey love, great question. Thanks so much for sending it in. Show of metaphorical podcast hands, please. How many of us listening have felt this way? Mm, yeah I feel like it's going to be quite a few or bear with me let me put it this way how many of us have fantasized about getting seriously ill or injured so that we would be hospitalized and be able to rest now I know this might seem like a very insensitive thing to say in the current climate as we live through a global pandemic and for people who have perhaps spent prolonged periods of their lives in hospital or bed bound And for that, I apologize because it's not my intention to minimize or trivialize anyone's experience. And I know this feeling is true for many codependent people. I certainly remember feeling it, especially at times in my life when I've been in abusive and dysfunctional relationships. The reason being, codependency is exhausting, physically, mentally, and emotionally. In fact, although I was afraid when I had to have my appendix removed because I'd never had surgery or general anesthesia before, I was actually a bit relieved and excited not only to be medicated to the point where I literally felt no pain, physical or emotional, but also to be signed off work for two weeks and be able to legitimately spend 18 hours a day in bed or in an opiate-aided slumber. 
It felt like such sweet relief from the seemingly endless, exhausting hamster wheel of my life. Now, dear listener, I don't know if any of these things ring true for you, but I don't think you're alone in this feeling of being sick of taking care of yourself. It actually speaks to me of burnout. This happens to codependent people because not only do we live in anxiety most of the time, we're world champion overthinkers and people pleasers, we are also often trying to do the absolute most all the time for everyone but ourselves. And on top of that, we're crap at asking for support or receiving help. In some ways, we're hyper-independent. There is no one more capable and resourceful than a codependent babe because we don't think we're worthy of other people's time and effort, so we figure out how to do literally everything for ourselves. Except stopping and resting. So you say you're sick of taking care of yourself, but I wonder what that looks like for you. Is there a way you could change how you take care of yourself that is more focused on rest and joy and recuperation than it is on getting shit done? And I want to acknowledge that having the time and resources to do that is a privilege that not everyone can afford. But if some of those changes are accessible to you, I encourage you to explore them. I also want to recommend an excellent book called Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski. They do a great job of explaining why so many women in our culture are burned out and what we can do to remedy it. The link is in the show notes. You also use the words, like I want to be a child again. I don't know your backstory, but this phrasing has me wondering if you felt you got the opportunity to be a child when you were young. Perhaps some of your craving to be taken care of is the desire to have some carefree, disconnected from this capitalist hellscape, responsibility-free time if that's not something you were afforded at the time that you should have been. Again, something that is not uncommon for codependent people who were brought up in dysfunctional households where we are often parentified at a young age, made to be the physical, emotional or logistical caretakers of our caregivers or siblings. Brene Brown says that the opposite of depression is play. Our modern society does not value play and creativity and non-productive time for adults time spent in enjoyment for enjoyment's sake. Hobbies become side hustles and things we enjoy for our own pleasure become opportunities to create content or performances for strangers on the internet. So perhaps there is also an opportunity for you to think about how you might incorporate more play into your life. Times when your phone is turned off and you do something you love just for the love of it. I think if you start to look at some of these things, you might start to lift the heaviness that you feel right now and ironically start to take better care of yourself than you ever have. And it's also totally cool, once you've gotten to a place of more equilibrium for yourself, to be clear on wanting to be with a partner who enjoys being a provider or having more of a caretaking role. With healthy boundaries, communication and arrangements that protect you financially and logistically, of course. There are people out there who are the yang to your yin and it's totally cool if you know that's what you want and it works for you. And finally, we have this from Leith who asked, how to not treat yourself badly and let go of shame if you relapse in your recovery? Hey love, thanks for this question. I really feel this one in my bones. So first off, sending love and I want you to know that you're not alone. I divorced a narcissist and then moved in with a sex addict. Oops, lol. So even I, even I 
codependency coach extraordinaire and still in recovery, still working on myself, still improving, still learning, still making mistakes, still fucking up and having to go back and correct myself, still discovering what my boundaries are and doing the awkward work of expressing them and the hard work of maintaining them. I always say to my clients, recovery is not a straight line and sometimes it feels like two steps forward and one step back. And if you're not making mistakes and getting frustrated and pissed off and it doesn't feel hard and boring and tiring sometimes, you're probably performing it rather than actually doing it and living it. So with all that said, my love, please take heart that you're doing great. Get back on the horse and kick shame to the curb. If there is one true enemy of recovery and growth, it's shame. And if you're codependent, you've been treating yourself badly, as have some of the people around you for the longest time already. So we're done with that. We've had our fill of bullshit treatment. There's really no need to keep it going. And the thing about shame is it grows in the dark. It cannot survive being exposed to the light. In this case, exposing it to the light means sharing it with me and with our lovely listeners some of whom will be feeling the same way as you and will be so grateful that you asked this question. And all of the rest of the gang who are cheering you on as well. Leith, my love, keep going. One foot in front of the other, one day, one hour, one minute at a time. You're beautiful, amazing and strong for even trying. I know you can do this and if you're not so sure yourself right now, you can lean on my faith in the meantime. And now it's that time in the show where I'd like to remind you that my codependency recovery community, Wildly Worthy, is open. For less than £50 a month, you can get access to weekly 90-minute Q&A coaching calls with me, as well as my full online codependency recovery course, and a community of people who are all on this recovery journey with you, so that means a totally supportive, judgment-free zone. Wildly Worthy is open to all women and female socialized non-binary people. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anti-People Pleasing Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe to or follow the pod. It helps more people find us and join the movement to have healthier, more fulfilling relationships. You said, as an adult, I often feel like I want someone to take over. You said, as an adult, I often, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh God, I'm going to pull the jack. Drink! Drink! (laughs) (laughs) And on top of that, a little festive burp for you.